Hi, I'm Mackenzie Fagan, and this is 112BK. Coming up, will Brooklyn's oat milk shortage continue to worsen? That's not one of the 19 stories to watch in 2019, according to the Brooklyn paper, although maybe it should be. We'll hear about their list from the new editor-in-chief. Brooklyn's biggest celebrity couple, not John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, who just moved to Brooklyn Heights, but Pickles and Violet are really the um, four-legged stars of 2019. And then, are you extremely beautiful? If not, consider yourself lucky. Our senior Extremely Beautiful correspondent is here to tell you about the trials and tribulations of being drop-dead gorgeous. It's not just beautiful people. It is... Uh, you know, luxurious people, gorgeous people, beautiful people, pretty people, or as we call it, the LGBT community. Canine outlaws, homeless party boats, rampant baby making, amoral upzoning, zip lines, marijuana. These are among the 19 stories the Brooklyn paper will be keeping its eye on in 2019. To tell us more, we're joined by the recently appointed editor-in-chief of the decades-old periodical. Anthony Rotano, welcome to 112BK. Thank you so much, Mackenzie. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell me a little bit about your job, because you not only are the editor-in-chief of the Brooklyn paper, you have a myriad number of other sites and papers that you do coverage for. Is that right? That's correct, yes. So aside from the beloved Brooklyn paper, um, I also edit and run two websites, brooklynpaper.com and brooklyndaily.com, and four other print newspapers that come out weekly, the Park Slope Courier, the Mill Marine Courier, the Bay News, and Brooklyn Graphic. So our organization's coverage really spans the entire borough up from Greenpoint all the way down to Coney Island and everywhere in between. Um, It's 24 hours, seven days a week, and as you so succinctly put it, there's just so much going on here. Well, thank you for making time for us. Sounds like you are a busy man. Well... I will always have time to appear on television. (laughs) Um, So let's talk about your number 19 story. This is sort of a a human interest story about pickles and violet violet. runaway dogs. Yes, Brooklyn's biggest celebrity couple, not John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, who just moved to Brooklyn Heights. But pickles and violet are really the um, four-legged stars of 2019 because of their runaway romance. Um, Pickles escaped on a walk last August. And for months, his owners mounted a search, and flyers for him appeared across the borough. I saw one outside of my bodega in Bushwick. My reporters saw them in Sunset Park, in Marine Park, in Ditmas Park, where he ran away from. And it was sort of this ongoing saga. And I think all hope was lost until in November, my reporter, Colin Mixon, who's really been dogged about this story, got in touch with Pickles' owners and you know, found out that they found him over by Brooklyn College by the old railroad tracks that cut through that neighborhood. But they didn't just find him. They found Violet, who had been lost for two years and had cozied up to Pickles at some point over his escape and became pals until they were rescued. And and now the owners of Pickles are considering also adopting Violet? Well, this story, you know, it should have been higher on our list, quite frankly, because it took a, a bit of a twist. We So Violet is ready for adoption. She's over at Sean Casey Animal Rescue in Windsor Terrace. And we once we found that out, we immediately contacted Pickles' owners, who were a little hard to get a hold of. So we're not sure if they still have room for her. They had mentioned they were moving. And I don't know if her ready for adoption has preceded their ability to move and find a bigger space. We're hopeful they'll be reunited, but 
rest assured, Violet will find a loving forever home, whether it's with her friend or not. It sounds uh, like a rom-com that I'm interested in watching. I know. Netflix can target me with that. The rights are available and, you know, we'll we'll gladly accept the highest bidder um, for Pickles and Violet's love story because, you know, it's Homeward Bound meets... You know, when Harry met Sally, it's just a perfect story. I love it. I love it. Easy sell. Let's shift gears a little bit and get into the weeds and talk about (laughs) marijuana. That's a little Brooklyn paper pun for you. Do you want a job? Because we're (laughs) we're always looking for punny correspondence. Yeah, sure. If you need, like, a freelance punster, I'm available. Um, So... New York might be in the position to legalize marijuana this year. It seems like it, this will be the year. I mean, Governor Cuomo was pushed really far to the left last fall when he was running against uh, Cynthia Nixon, who was very pro-legalization. And our you know, district attorney, Eric Gonzalez, has been really out in the forefront of legalization and not only legalization, but non-prosecution for a lot of misdemeanor marijuana offenses. And so I think, you know, through his efforts and now the governor's sort of jumping on board, it really could be a landmark year for the state, but also for the borough, where the first medical marijuana center opened just two weeks ago, right around here on Flatbush Avenue across from the Barclays Center, uh, Sativa, which, again, pun masters over there. It's not spelled like the strain of marijuana, but it's a, a twist on that. And um, you described it as sort of like a spa-like environment? Yeah, the owners, they, they equate it to more of a day spa than, you know, your traditional smoke shop. The photos of the place, if you've seen inside, which which we have, um, it seems very s- modern and serene. It's got lovely shelves curated with their products, none of which actually have the plant marijuana or edibles infused with the plant because the state's medical marijuana laws prohibit those parts of the drugs to be sold as part of the policy. But it looks, yeah, it's serene. You need to show, you need to have a New York State medical marijuana ID to get in, but it's not, you know, your average toke shop. It's very fancy, swanky, upmarket, yeah. Okay, so uh, many of the, or a couple of the items that you mentioned that you were going to be keeping an eye on had to deal with zoning and new yeah, skyscrapers development, that might be coming yeah, in. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to us about a couple of those. So, you know, we had on, on our list three three major sort of development stories from across the borough. One is going on down in Coney Island where there are a slew of developments going up, you know, near the boardwalk on Surf Avenue, many of them with affordable housing, which is great for the neighborhood. But that neighborhood is really set for some big visual changes over the next several years as these projects get off the ground, quite literally. Another more sort of concerning rezoning that was approved just as the last year ended and you know within days of the new year was one over in uh, Crown Heights near the Brooklyn Botanic Garden where right. um, a developer for years has been trying to get these two towers off the ground near Franklin Avenue at about 16 stories, um, which garden patrons and fans worry will cast harmful shadows on the green space. The developer did a shadow study indicating that no, that would not happen. Um, but some anti-gentrification advocates over there did their own study with experts saying, yes, that would happen. So it's kind of, you know, this shady space. Um, ultimately, you can't you can't stop. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I don't have many friends, Mackenzie, um, because I just go there. Councilmember Lori Combo, you know, she's a big proponent of increasing the housing stock, especially the affordable housing stock in the borough. She greenlit another controversial development in Crown Heights last year at the Bedford Union Armory because of the amount of affordable units it would bring. So she gave her blessing to a rezoning for these two towers because she was able to negotiate a deal in which the developer agreed to set aside space for even more units. 
Time will tell whether their height is actually problematic for the garden. But also, you know, what's more interesting and what we're more keeping our eye on is how that vote will inspire other developers and inspire other decisions on rezonings that are sort of starting right now in that general area. There's another, a little further north over in Gowanus, you know, the city last year released its proposal to rezone a huge swath of Fourth Avenue to allow for buildings around 17, 17 stories high, I believe. And between the canal cleanse and other projects in Gowanus, that that is something that this year I think is really going to kind of heat up mm-hmm. um, because for so many of our stories to watch change change and change the way a neighborhood looks and change the way you know the, the heights rises that that the struggle over accepting it and and sort of turning turning it down is at the heart of so many of these stories sure. I mean it's 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 something we we see every single day. And the building of high rises in Brooklyn is not new, but it sounds like these buildings might be precedent setting yeah, for I mean, other neighborhoods so as ma- well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing with so many of these taller buildings is once one goes up, you literally have the precedent to point to and say, right. but that's there. So what about ours? Um, let's talk about babies. So talk about them. Brooklyn is poised to surpass Chicago uh, as yes. the third most populous city yes. in the nation. Yes, we're, we're, we could be there, Mackenzie. The fact of the matter is, is that, you know, data being what it is, it often takes years to kind of sort down the final numbers. But I think as of 2017, we were maybe 100,000 people fewer than Chicago. That's within reach. That's very much yes. within reach. And on New Year's Day alone, there were at least five babies born this year. So, Well, I actually just attended a friend's goodbye party last night, and she's leaving Bed-Stuy for Chicago. So we oh, have, my gosh. So she, we're losing She and one. her fiancé, so we have two to make Does up for. Does she read the paper? or I, I will urge her to reconsider. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Given the fact that we could be There's the third. There's still time for yeah, her. Brooklyn needs you. Baby yeah, makers. All of you, please. Yeah. So let's also, speaking of population, let's talk about the census. Uh, yes. So the census is coming in 2020. It's coming next year, but, but I think you're going to see a lot of action about it this year. Right. And the story to really watch for is this citizenship question, yes. right? But even if the citizenship question isn't on the census, are we going to see a cooling effect either way of people in our borough concerned about showing up for the census? I think that would be a reasonable argument to make. You know, I think that many of this presidential administration's policies and tactics have have led immigrants in Brooklyn and beyond to maybe shy away from, you know, claiming what they're rightfully owed and, and making their presence known. And, and whether or not they're specifically asked to state their citizenship on the census when it comes when it comes time in 2020, I think Getting them to participate regardless is going to be a big effort here, which is why, you know, one of the reasons why Borough President Adams has formed his own committee to really get boots on the ground and encourage people to participate in this because it is a vital measurement of of how we will be represented. One of your stories to watch is about the public advocates race. Can you name someone who is not running for public advocate? Myself. Yet? Um, yes, I haven't announced my candidacy yet. No time like the present. Here we are. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite ready, but uh, no, um, it's a it's an extremely crowded race. I think it will filter out as the date for the election, which Mayor de Blasio set as February 26th approaches. But you know, it's it's interesting because there are a number of Brooklyn Brooklynites who are running, including Councilman Jumani Williams, who is sort of leading the pack in many ways, but also. 
my Bushwick councilman, Rafael Espinal, is putting up a, a good fight for it. And, it. and, you know, what's really funny or ironic is how many people are running for this seat, even as other local politicians are trying to have it abolished. Um, it's, it, that race is, is one to watch for many reasons, not only because of the number of people participating, but also because the position itself is such a hot button office. Right. And it's been a springboard. I, well, to many positions. people say it has been a springboard. I mean, Mayor de Blasio held the office. Tish James, now our new attorney general, held the office. It's it is a, it has been used as a springboard, but I also think that it serves a vital role in checking, you know, and balancing the government. And on a sadder note, one of the most poignant stories that you are continuing to cover is about Luz Gonzalez, yes, uh, the four-year-old who was killed in a hit-and-run accident. Tell us a little bit about that story and about the developments that are going to be forthcoming in the new year. So that story was is, is, is another one that's close to home for me. I live in Bushwick. It, the, the collision happened blocks from my apartment. I walk by the laundromat every so often, um, and it's just really tragic. I mean, there's video footage showing the driver run over the young girl. I mean, it's kind of indisputable that it happened. She was stopped by police a block away when she was driving away. They let her go. And this was back in June. You know, the the girl's parents, speaking of of those who might not want to participate in the census, you know, they're, they're here. They've been in Brooklyn for a long time. They are not legal residents of the city, but they, you know, they're working, they're here, they want, they're working towards citizenship. And they weren't able to go back. She was buried in Mexico. They weren't able to go back or chose not to go back because they were afraid they wouldn't be right. able to get back in. And whether or not the driver is charged will not affect that aspect of the story. But those who seek justice, I think, argue that it would provide some sort of solace to the parents for you know the hard decisions they've had to make in the aftermath of that crash. Um, let's stick with transportation and talk about the BQE. Yes. So one of the proposals for the fixes that are needed to the BQE is to turn the Brooklyn Promenade into an expressway. Yes. Um, so talk to us a little bit about that. I know that residents are understandably upset. Yeah. Brooklyn I, Heights residents. You know, it's definitely upsetting is a one way to describe it. Um, you know, the city last September sort of drop this bomb on Brooklyn Heights and the surrounding neighborhoods that, yes, there are two options that they feel were the best to repair the triple cantilever and surrounding stretch of expressway. One would be to basically reroute all of the triple cantilever's lanes, so six lanes of traffic, three going towards Queens, three going towards Bay Ridge, onto the promenade which, as anybody who's walked it knows, runs right behind several buildings in Brooklyn Heights. So, you know, this would be traffic. You know, you'd be having your morning coffee, and you could wave at your neighbor who's going to work because you could see their car right through your window. Very expensive brownstones. It Very be. expensive, yes. yeah, yes. absolutely. And it's a big tourist draw as well. Exactly. I mean, Parents the promenade is one of the most beloved attractions, not only in Brooklyn, but in the, New York, the greater New York area. So it'll be decided this year whether or not they will proceed with that plan or um, a more gradual but longer plan to shut down lane by lane. Is that right, right, right. Or a third option, which the city said it was considering after it was brought to their attention by leaders of the Brooklyn Heights Association, um, which would be to build the temporary roadway closer to Brooklyn Bridge Park along these noise-muffling berms that the city and the park spent millions of dollars building over the last several years. It's like, which multi-million dollar homes right. get the short end of the stick? Right. The city wants, you know, it's saying it can start the job as soon as 
2020. I mean, I think, you know, by started, that's staging and stuff. But I, yes, to your point, some, they're going to have to choose a way forward this year if they really want to stick to that timeline. Yeah. I mean, the, the big threat here is that by 2026, transit experts believe the triple cantilever will start to crumble. Right. So... All right, so our Time's number one story to watch, <sighs> L-Train. L-Train. I mean, What's happening? What I, You know what? Good question. What what the L is going on what is your L, headline yeah, says. Yeah, what, what the L is going on. I mean, this was really the, the curveball of 2019 because quite literally after our 19 stories to watch in 2019 went to press last Wednesday, my reporter, Julianne Cuba, who's been covering the shutdown for months and years, she got a call saying you're going to want to be in Manhattan at the governor's office at 11 a.m. for this meeting. And, you know, he kind of lowered expectations. He said, you know, he didn't expect it to be any less than 15 months of L. And he didn't really suggest that there would be a massive change coming. So when he dropped this news on January 3rd, I was still warming up after my polar bear plunge down in Coney Island on New Year's Day, it was it was like shockwaves across Brooklyn. And the past week has really been an effort for our staff to kind of make heads or tails of the new plan, which many details of which are still kind of nebulous. Um, I mean, the basic, the basic scheme that Cuomo proposed is one that will allow night and weekend repairs, which is something they floated back in 2016 when they were presenting two options, whether to shut it down entirely the Brooklyn to Manhattan tunnel or whether to slowly repair it overnights and weekends. But again, you know, as one of, as the president of the North Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce told us in a story in our next week's issue, which is fully dedicated to the aftermath of this news, nights and weekends are huge times for traveling along the L line. You've got neighborhoods like Williamsburg and Bushwick where nightlife is a huge industry, where people are going on the weekends. So, you know, just keeping it open and reverting the work to that those times doesn't necessarily mean blue skies ahead for a lot of people in right. these neighborhoods. And and not only that, but at the other end of the L, you know, over in Canarsie and stops further east, you have a lot of people who are commuting into Manhattan, who are working in healthcare, who have jobs that are not nine to five. And so their commutes are already quite long. And how this will affect those people's lives, it could be far more dramatic than them having to find another way to their jobs. Right. If it's a partial apocalypse, there might not be as much help for the people who actually need help. Right. And and, and I think that's a big concern, you know, because when it was a full apocalypse, there were a slew of alternate transportation options were rolled out. And now the fate of many of them is up in the air. And transit chiefs are, are saying, give us time, give us time. But Cuomo's saying it's still probably going to start in April, so there isn't that much time. Right. I mean, three months pass in a blink. That's how well, quick it took to find pickles. <laughs> well, we're glad that pickles is safe. I mean, most importantly. And we will continue keeping an eye on the Brooklyn paper to learn more about the L train shutdown and all of the other 18 other stories to keep an eye on. Please do. New issues out every Friday in print in neighborhoods across the borough, and we are updated every day online at brooklynpaper.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Anthony. Thank you, Mackenzie. They live among us. You see them on subways, in public parks, maybe even in your apartment building. Here in New York, many of us are desensitized to their plight, and it can be helpful to remember that they're people too. We're talking, of course, about the extremely beautiful. 
Every year seems to bring another article about the particular burdens of being not just attractive, but exceptionally attractive. Vice did a piece a couple of years back called Extremely Beautiful People Talk About What It's Like to Be Extremely Beautiful, and it contained this quote, I've never had a proper job interview. I usually just have an informal chat and then get offered the job. Cool. That's, that's cool. Here to tell us more about the challenges of winning the genetic lottery, we're joined by 112BK's resident extremely beautiful person, Brian Ank. Brian, oh my God, it's, like, it's actually like a little hard to look directly at you. Um, I know, and I apologize for um, that. Thank you for being sensitive uh, to your effect on people. What is it like to be you? Well, every day is a struggle, and I think you said a lot of really good and important things, and I'm so glad that you at uh, 112BK are putting a spotlight on you know my community. I like that Vice did something about it, but um, it's not just beautiful people. It is uh, you know, luxurious people, gorgeous people, beautiful people, pretty people, or as we call it, the LGBT community. And it's it's nice to hear that our voices are being heard. Mm -hmm. In the Vice article, it mentions uh, one person talks about how people get so nervous that they drop things around him. Is that something that you can identify with? It is. I mean, even just today, I uh, came in here and I, you know, walked into a room and women started, you know, uh, shaking. They started, you know, kind of getting uh, excited and all that kind of stuff. And it may have been because I accidentally walked into the women's bathroom, but it probably was my attractiveness. Right. Just going outward. Are, are you able to date? Do, do you have to limit yourself to apps like Raya, where you can date other extremely beautiful people and extremely minor celebrities? Well, most of us in that community, you know, we don't date each other that much just because we don't, you know, people yell at us for that. We think it's unfair mm. for us to not share our beauty with the rest of the world. When did you first realize that you were extremely beautiful? Uh, well, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but when I was born... This is a difficult hand that you've been dealt, I will say. What about jobs? Um, another person in the article mentioned, uh, as we just said, that they had never had to interview for a job. They were just sort of handed jobs. I've never applied for anything in my life. And you can't you know, walk into my apartment without seeing just job applications everywhere because everyone wants me to be a part of their life, be a part of their workforce. People unsolicited are sending you applications for I, jobs. For things that I have no idea what to do. Right. Uh, rocket scientists, uh, uh, um, waiters and waitresses. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do I don't. I've never even ordered a drink in my life. People just hand me things. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And it's so, I walk around with a spare bag in my backpack because people just give me free things and I have to carry that, that physical burden that as is well a physical as that emotional. Burden. It's a lot to carry on your shoulders uh, and in bags. There was an article in The Cut where an anonymous, extremely beautiful person, perhaps you know her, talked about how as she has aged and put on a little bit of weight, she has been able to pass as a normal person. Um, but with you being a man, you know, we as society have decided that your attractiveness will only increase as you get older. What is it like knowing that it's only going to get worse for you? You know, it's it's difficult because we call it the Clooney effect, and it's just going to get harder and harder. It's like a type of disease that just accelerates later in my life. And instead of, you know, not being able to breathe or be able to do things like I used to, I just, you know, 
get more and more attractive. Oh my God, you're even extremely beautiful when you're sad, maybe even more so. Thank you. Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope that our viewers uh, will develop some empathy around your plight as a result of your speaking out. Thank you. I hope so. That's the show for today. We'll be back on Wednesday with Brooklyn's resident top chef. That's right. Nini Nguyen from here in the borough was a Top Chef contestant who crashed out on Restaurant Wars. We'll hear all about it. And if you'd like to see how beautiful Brian actually is and be mesmerized by his sweater, tune into the broadcast tonight at 10 p.m. wherever you get your Brick TV or tomorrow on our YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe. Woman 2BK is hosted by me, Mackenzie Fagan. It is series produced by Ross Tuttle, also produced by Fred Brown, Shereen Bargi, Isabel Alcantara, Naeem Van, and Emily Bogosian. It is recorded in studio by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hogseg, and Antonio M. Rosario. It is post-produced by Alexander Pointzolo, edited by Mira Al-Rahim, and executive produced by Jonathan Leaf, Sasha Mathias, and Aziz Aisham. 